What's up, everybody? Another episode of Icy Takes coming right at you with Big Dave and Jeff on the other side with his microphone and on the other side of the webcam. Jeff, another great week, at least for me. How about it for you? Oh, last week uh, when we were talking before we got on the air, um, some people said, you know, Jeff, you sound like a little bit of a heel there. Well, I had a tough week at work. It was it was a rough one, but we uh, we got through the weekend. We settled down, and we've made it to Canada Day for our friends up north. Um, uh, happy Canada Day to all of them, and let's dive into some some icy takes. We got a lot to talk about, especially with the NHL with the opening day of free agency, don't we? Isn't it kind of awesome and coincidental how the NHL free agency in Canada Day runs on the same day? Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, I guess the best way to compare it for Americans would be if like NFL free agency fell on July 4th. Yeah, no, that's, that's a pretty good uh, That's a pretty good comparison right there I'll, I'll give you that one i'll put one up on the board for jeff for that comparison oh thank you there we go we're on the board yeah we're on the board within within a minute so let's yep. let's get to it how about that we got the nhl free agency that started you know today at, at midnight and you know i put out the post on our Facebook noon, noon, page. noon 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 we oh, started yeah. noon right right apologies but <laughs> yeah, you're good <laughs> started today july 1st well, you're listening now because it comes out July 2nd. And, you know, we expected a, a frenzy. And we, we're still getting that at this very moment. Um, we're, we're still getting all these other signings that have been happening throughout the day. And, you know, Jeff, there's probably been over 10, 15 big signings that we could talk about. But we're going to see what we can get through with, um, with, like, what we think is, like, the best signing for a particular team a not very good signing for a particular team and maybe one that like really surprises us. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to dive deep. Like Dave said, we're going to get some, uh, probably about, about 10 to 15 signings that we're going to go through throughout the, uh, throughout the podcast. And if we missed some, it's not that we ignored it or anything. It's just, uh, we could be going on for five hours going through free agent signings and everything. And we got a lot more stuff to talk about. So, uh, so this will be a fun show to go through and kind of break down some uh, some business that was done in the NHL. All right. So, Jeff, I don't know if you're ready, if you got a best signing, a not-so-good signing, or a surprise signing to lead off for us. Um, Probably the best signing that I would say th- for the day. I mean, how could you argue with the, the New York Rangers going out and getting probably the, the prize of the free agent class this year, getting Artemi Panarin, uh, a seven-year contract at eighty-one and a half million dollars. Um, I think that's undoubtedly the uh, the big pickup today. That's a cap hit of eleven point six four two million dollars. Um, boy, that really sp- sped up their rebuild process. So getting the second overall pick in the draft and then the top uh, top free agent and on the market on July first. See, th- this is part of the reason why I'm including the Devils and the Rangers to be teams that can vault other teams in the Metro because of the number one and number two draft pick and their ability to sign players in free agency, high-ranked players, top liners, even top top sixers across the board to contribute now. So, I mean, you, you look at what Panarin did last year, putting up 87 points in uh, 79 games played, so a little over 
a, a point a game, had 28 goals just short of 30 for the season. And you know, the kid is only um, t- like, or not only, but he's 27 years old, but he's been contributing ever since he, uh, I believe he won the Calder Cup with the Blackhawks in 2015. Uh, yeah, Calder Trophy as rookie of the year, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's, what, he's had 77, 74, 82, 87. So, I mean, he's been consistent with how many points he's put up in a season uh, since being traded from the Blackhawks to the Blue Jackets. And now it's his time to, you know, it was his time to make his money and he got it on the biggest stage and one of the biggest stages in the, in the world, not even just in hockey, but in the world to play on that, in that venue, Madison square garden and look to get the Rangers back on track. Yeah. I mean, it'd be really interesting to see how he, he handles that market because, um, I mean, he was obviously in the big market of Chicago when he started his career, but you had guys like Taves, Kane, Seabrook, Keith, you had all these guys that had won before that kind of take that spotlight away from him. And then he goes to, to a small market in Columbus where he was kind of the guy. Um, but to go to New York, you, you're making a ton of money. You're going to be the guy. You're kind of leading the way for this kid, Capo Caco, that's going to be coming to New York. Um, I'm very interested to see how he's going to handle that whole atmosphere because all you hear is how – how different New York is, right? How, how much they press on, on their, their stars there that when you, you know, they'll pay you that money, but you better perform. Um, he's undoubtedly going to be the guy there now um, as far as the, the goal scoring and uh, point getting department. So um, I think that's going to be the real intriguing thing is how he handles being the guy um, in a, in a big market like that. Yeah. And so far, like you said, he hasn't had he hasn't had to be that guy yet. You had, I mean, you had Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves in front of him his rookie year, uh, the year after. I think the last year that the Blackhawks won the Cup was uh, his rookie year was the year after, and he, you know, just flourished right away with with all of those guys. And now you're gonna have, you know playing alongside guys like uh, Henrik Lundqvist, who, you know, will probably be there a Ranger for life. Um, I don't see any reason why that, why that man would be leaving. Um, and, you know, you have Chris Kreider who's been there for, I mean, do you know how long Kreider's been there? Uh, I think he's been there since about 2011, but he, I mean, he's one of the longest tenured Rangers, I think on that roster. Yeah. Besides King Henry, but right. I mean, you, this is a new look for the Rangers. They have already expressed to their fans that you know, we understand disappointment and nobody wants to lose and no one wants to continue to lose, but we have a plan set set to take place. And I believe that that came out about a year ago uh, when they had a proposed plan to come out for the like five-year strategy for them to get back on track and maybe even hoist the Stanley Cup, you know, only being a couple years removed from making the appearance in 2014. Yeah. The, yeah. They, um, they pretty much said to their fans, Hey, we're going to do a rebuild here. And, uh, you know, they kind of pulled back on the reins from making a playoff run, I believe last year. And then this year it kind of was, it was kind of stale all year. Um, especially selling off Zuccarello, Kevin Hayes, um, guys like that. So, uh, the rebuild has been in, in process. It's gone a lot, lot quicker than what I thought it was gonna gonna happen. But um, you know, it, it, 
like we said at the top of the show, it speeds up a lot quicker when you, you get the second overall pick and you go out and you get the top free agent on the market. So, um, I mean, I don't want to call them the overall winner of free agency quite yet because there's still a lot more pieces I think they need to add before they make the big uphaul to be a contender. But um, I think that it puts them in the mix for a playoff spot, absolutely, for next year. All right, so I'm going to say one of the the best signings I saw was only a one-year deal. And, you know, you can mock me all you want, but I, I really enjoy this one. How about Corey Perry going to the Stars on only a million and a half for one year? The the basically lifetime or duck that was uh, bought out by Anaheim this this past offseason a couple weeks ago it was set up to go somewhere else in free agency and goes to a second round team like the Stars who kind of makes made some surprises going that far beating the Predators in the first round you you have nothing to lose with this signing so I think this is one of the better signings uh, of the day was Perry going to the Stars. It's funny because the, when we get out of the free agent market and we talk about a trade later in the show, um, me and my buddies were talking about that they that we could see Corey Perry come to Pittsburgh for an astro- way too much money and way too long. Um, I think the contract he got fits absolutely perfect, um, especially with the team Dallas has. They still kind of play a heavy physical game in a way. Um, but they still have a lot of uh, a skill and talent on that team too. And I think he's going to fit perfectly in a, uh, uh, a role where he's not going to be the guy there. You know, if he can pump in 20 goals for him, 15 to 20 goals, he'll have a good year. Um, so I, I, I don't hate that deal for Dallas. I, I, I do agree with you. I think it was a pretty, uh, um, low risk, high reward kind of, kind of deal for them. Right now he's projected to be on the third line of this team. Uh, at, you know, at 34 years old, not as fast as he used to be, but a dude that just has a natural ability to score, and you can't really take that out of players when they get older. They find ways to still get it in the net, just a, a little bit slower, or find little shortcuts here and there on how to, you know, attack attack the net. But uh, later on, I'm going to stay with this team, and that's going to be my most surprise signing. You might already know what I'm talking about by saying that, but. Um, I think this is a great fit for uh, Corey Perry for what he has been going through in Anaheim and just tries to get maybe like a little bit of a of a reset for a year just to see where he's at. Yeah, I, I don't even th- I think he's going to be unfortunately in a short term contract the rest of his career for however, however long he decides he wants to play. Um, I just don't th- I, I just think it's going to be a lot of we're going to give you a short contract with maybe a million, maybe 2 million, and then just put bonuses on that towards the end. And that's where he's going to make his money is off performance bonuses like that. So um, it's an interesting way to, to have to play out the rest of your career. But in, in the world of a salary cap and everything, it's kind of the way you have to do things when you're over 35. Okay, so let's go to the, the most not-so-good signing of the day and my my god I could not believe the money that Sergei Bobrovsky is going to be making in in the south playing for the Florida Panthers under Joel Quinville signing a 7 year 70 million dollar contract with the uh, Florida Panthers and let me just say that I don't believe he deserves 
Oh, uh, over half of it, but I, I don't think he deserves $10 million a year. I think this man only deserves, at most, uh, $7 million a year, and that's stretching it for me. I would say he's in, like, that 7 or $8, to $8 million department. Um, the thing that, that worries me about that contract for Florida is that you still have Roberto Luongo on the books a little bit, um, but you... I I don't know. There's something about just giving a goaltender $10 million that I really struggle with. I feel like um, it seems like teams always take a goaltender to develop from from the later rounds of the draft, like third or fourth round. You're always picking a goaltender somewhere around there, and they, they can just sit and marinate. And I believe they, the Panthers also took a goaltender in the uh, in the draft pretty early, too. I think they took one of the the only goalies in the first or second round. So you you have this kid who's going to develop, and then you know if he's ready by year three or four of Bobrovsky's deal, you're kind of sit. He's kind of just sitting there as a uh, as an asset that you're going to have to trade if you're you're looking for something. So um, that's the only confusing thing that I didn't really understand with that was um, you know they drafted a goaltender pretty high in the draft, and then. Uh, you go very, very long term with Bobrovsky, even though everybody knew he was going to Florida. But to uh, to go that long and that much money committed to a goaltender who, by all accounts, really hasn't won a damn thing in the league. So um, that's the one confusing one for me. He is 30 years old, and you could even argue that he might be on his way down. And he will be making eight digits a year for a team that also does not has not won anything. Um, one of the one of the new franchises that I believe came around in the nineties, am I correct there, with the Florida Panthers? Who was that? Uh, like one of the new franchises to come around in the nineties when they expanded. It was the Florida Panthers, right? Right, right. Right, right. So um, I mean, you have Florida who hasn't won anything, and neither has Bobrovsky. I just don't see why this, um, why this had to mix at, at that price. I could understand, like I said, seven million and anything below that is fine. But you know, here's what other goaltenders are making in the league that are below Bobrovsky that have already won. Okay, you got, you know, how much Mark Andre Fleury is making. Yeah, he's like around seven, I think, right? Seven mil. Do you know who else is making seven mil on the other side of the country that has won? And it, he and he hasn't even won as a starter. Oh, man, you're really testing me. He was just in the cup. Oh, Tukarask. Yeah, he's also making seven mil. Um, here's another dude that just won a, won a cup. Um, he's making 6.1 million a year. That's Braden Holpe. And then you have Corey Crawford at six million, who's won multiple with uh, the Blackhawks. What do you win two two as a starter and one as a backup? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So basically, what my point is here is that you have Bobrovsky, who's won one playoff series all his career, and he's making ten million dollars a year for a team that has never won anything in their entire history. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I I I think that the uh, the Panthers got stuck in kind of a world where everybody knew who their their target was coming into free agency on July 1, and they just pretty much made it so nobody would attempt to go after him. 
I mean, they cleared all that cap space. You knew they were going to spend a ton of money. Um, their ultimate goal, obviously, I think, was to get both Panarin and Bobrovsky. But I think that they really valued the goaltending position that much to throw $10 million at them. Um, they pretty, I, I think they just pretty much wanted to say, he's our guy. We dare you to, to pretty much do anything more than $10 million. So I, so that, that's my little rant of the not so good signing. What about you? Mine, I'm staying local. Um, bear with me folks, because this is just so frustrating at this point. Um, <laughs> Brandon Tanev, Brandon Tanev, I'm sure you're a great human being. You're probably going to do wonders for this community and you're going to do a lot of great stuff. Is it six years, $3.5 million ever uh, over those six years, making it $21 million? Um, I just don't know what Jim Rutherford's doing anymore. I've tried, I've tried to, to back him up on bringing in guys like Nick Bukestad I even tried to make the Jack Johnson thing like somewhat kind of work, and, and I just don't get it anymore. We, the amount of money the Penguins have backed up in just not good hockey players is unreal. You have Jack Johnson four years left, Erica Branson I believe is on four or three more years left at four million dollars. You have this deal at uh, three and a half over six years. Like I just don't get what we're doing anymore in terms of what direction is this team going. Um, I, I, I was driving around at work today. I was trying to figure out, like, who's our top six? Is Pat, it, it, Patrick Hornquist is another one. I think he's on three three more years of $5 million And, oh, yeah, he's got a no-move clause, too. So, like, what are we – I just don't know. Like, Dave, do you? Because I can't figure it out. I, I really don't. So I think I think winning was a, a bit contagious with how Rutherford did his magic in those two years, especially the the first year where it seemed like no matter what move he made at the trade deadline, those were contributing factors to winning the cup that first year. And most of those players stayed on the next year to win another cup when he made other moves as well. Um, when you get into kind of a groove like that, you maybe overlook things that you were you were seeing before, but don't anymore because of the success that you had in back-to-back years. I I started and you know I started to realize this because I hated this trade when it happened, and I'll always hark on this when Rutherford traded Sunquist and a first-round pick for Ryan Reeves. And reasoning for trading for Ryan Reeves, I'm not really upset that he traded Sunquist or the first round pick. I'm upset of what they got in return, which was a bruiser who basically will play only the fourth line. And Mike Sullivan won't roll because of that uh, role that he plays as a bruiser and basically an enforcer. And, you know, you're not going to mess with our guys because we have him. Um, I think that that's kind of where the chemistry got lost with how Jim Rutherford runs the team. So um, not that I know what direction the team's going. I just think that was the start of it. So I can, I can understand with your little vent process right there. I mean, I'm just looking at, at their roster right now on cap friendly. I mean, it, it's not good. Like, so just writing down on paper right now. So you got 87, 59, 
and we'll throw Galchenyuk, the the kid they picked up. Spoiler alert: Phil Kessel got traded. We'll talk about that later. But um, Galchenyuk at as your top unit, you got Malkin. Um, I guess Rust and I don't know who do you want to put. Who do you want to put there? Jared McCann. That's your top six. So now oh. you're. So, so just to put this in perspective, then you got Nick Bukestad four point one. You have Patrick Hornquist five three, and Brandon Tanev at uh, three five. That's over like ten million dollars as a third line combined. About yeah, twelve. It's, it's been the opposite of how they were successful when Rust and Gensel come up with these rookie contracts and contribute immediately. Connor Sherry. Um, you, well, not, not only yeah. that, but not to cut you off. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hot about this, but like, I remember watching in 16 and you see these kids come up, you see Sherry coming up, you see Gensel coming up in 17, you saw Russ coming up, you saw all Scott Wilson came up. These kids were playing well and you're like, all right, now we got the, we kind of got the cycle going here where we can start fiddling out these third liners where we don't have to be married to them, get going. We have the prospects coming through, and then it just like dried up overnight. Like I said, and, winning and can now, be winning can be contagious, and when you make moves thinking that it's going to work like it did before, and you don't see the one thing that maybe is the reason why it won't work out anymore, um, it it blocks your vision. I mean that fourth line, man. I just oh, like that third line I just listed. You have like a combined. Who did I say? Hornquist, four years left. Tanev, six years left. Bukestad at two years left. So you've got 12 years combined with all with the, those three contracts that are going to be sitting on your third line. So needless to say, this is a, a very not good signing by the Penguins. No, no, I don't like it at all. I don't like the term. I don't like how much. Just to put this in perspective for some people, Jonas Donskoy, he's probably – Maybe a sh- little bit better than Brandon Tanev. He got four years at fifteen point six at the uh, three nine value. So for you know four hundred k more, you could have gone for less years and probably a better hockey player too. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where the Penguins were going with that. I understand their their need to get lower level scoring, but like you're basically alluding to, they're going about it at the wrong ways. I, I just don't get it, and I mean, we're going to talk about something later uh, in regards to the Penguins front office and everything, and it's not pretty. All right, so, all right, do you have a, a most surprising sign of the day so far? The surprise sign for me, um, hmm, I kind of want to think about this. I mean, I can go for you if you Yeah, want. go ahead, go ahead, because I want to think about how I want to present this first. But All right, so looking at at everything else with who signed with whom and you know, all that all that good stuff, I think one of the, the biggest surprises to me was Joe Pavelski going to the Stars at three-year, 21 mil, and not really the, the amount of money or the length. I think the length is, is perfect. I think right now the Dallas Stars are doing very well with how they're constructing these contracts for the players that are above 30 years old. But Pavelski is still someone who performs at a high level, especially at his age, um, 34, 35 years old. He is a, he's a fighter out there. He was out there for almost 
or not almost every game, but he's out there almost every series and every playoff series that he was there with San Jose. And San Jose made it to the playoffs a lot whenever he was there. Am I wrong? Right. Yep, he did. Yeah. So not that he's ever been able to to completely nail it down and saying that he won the cup, but this is a guy that gives you the experience of going out there, making the playoffs, and making that deeper run that maybe Dallas has been uh, not as accustomed to recently. So I think bringing in a, a player like Joe Pavelski to fill in uh, to play with uh, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan is a great fix for these Dallas Stars to really improve themselves even after being an elite eight team this past season. Yeah. I like this deal a lot for Dallas too. Again, they're kind of shoring up their, their, uh, their depth scoring behind Sagan and Ben and, um, and Radulov. So I, I, I like both the Pavelski and the um, Corey Perry signings. Um, the interesting thing with Joe Pavelski though, is that um the whole Patrick Marlowe saga with him leaving Toronto and that, and that trade at, at the draft and going to Carolina and Carolina was possibly going to have to buy him out. Cause he wanted to go back to San Jose to get the band back together and Joe Pavelski's out the door. So um, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what Patrick Marlowe does with, uh, with that whole situation. But in terms of Joe Pavelski, I think he's going to do wonders and, and, and Dallas, Again, he's going to fit in a nice little spot uh, behind uh, Sagan and Ben, and um, they're they're putting themselves in a spot to kind of compete for that division with a couple uh, depth scoring that they picked up. Right, so, you you figure one out yet? Who's the biggest yeah, surprise? I kind of brought it up in my little rant about uh, Brandon Tanev, but I kind of like this Jonas Donskoy uh, signing here at four years, uh, three point nine a year. Um, totaling out to uh, $15.6 million. Um, let me see who he signed with. I apologize, folks. The, the um, Avalanche. The Avalanche. Yeah, I like this a lot. It, it gives it gives the Avs a little bit of depth scoring. Um, they were in on Panarin last late last night. They tried to put a last-minute push. Uh, kind of didn't want to commit to the to the real long term with him, with the, uh, with the young kids they have coming up with um, contracts and stuff. But... Uh, I like this signing. I think it's going to do well for them. Just uh, the guys, a little bit of a scoring threat um, can play, still play like that uh, second or third line role. Like he's not going to force himself into the top line with uh, McKinnon, Landeskog and, um, and Rantanen. So uh, that, that one, uh, it, it's surprising, but I, I like it a lot. It, it, the more and more I think about it, I think it's going to work well for Colorado. The, uh, the team of icy takes <laughs> the the official uh, uh, what was it adopted child team of yeah. icy takes right right but no I think Don scores a, a great addition for the Avalanche a team with uh, with McKinnon with Landis Gog you have I believe Calvin Pickard running the net there I uh, yeah because actually we got some breaking news Simeon Varlamov signed with the uh, with New York Islanders on a four-year contract. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of by default. Robin Leonard went to Chicago, too, by the way, for one year, five mil. So the uh, the goaltending market has kind of dried up in, a, in an early fashion. So, but no, I think the the scoring that you got out of the Avalanche, Don Skoy can also be a part of that scoring party as well. So 
the Avalanche don't really have to worry about offense as much as much as they maybe have to worry about defense and goaltending to make sure that they stay where they were last year and improve upon that. Yeah, so um, uh, one more goaltender signed as well. Peter Morazic re-signed with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, uh, two years, 6.25 on the total on that contract, cap hit of uh, 3.125. Um yeah, I, th- I think we we kind of hit the nail on the head there with uh, Don Scoy. He he, I think there's he he just has a nice little perfect spot that um, should they need him to play top six minutes, he can. But I think ideally he's going to fit into like that third line role a little bit. But he provides a lot of scoring for him. Let us know on our Facebook page, our Twitter, um, what you what signing you like the most. Didn't not like the most at all, or what surprised you the most at IC Takes on Twitter at ICEY Takes, all together one word at IC Takes with Jeff and Big Dave on Facebook. So, can we can we just li- can we just uh, list a couple other uh, big names that kind of went today, uh, just to do some quick news and notes? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Matt Zuccarello went to Minnesota for uh, five years. Uh, $30 million contract, average annual value, easy, $6 million. Um, Anders Lee stays on Long Island for seven years, uh, $7 million, $49 million total. Um, let me see here. Wayne Simmons signed for one year, $5 million. Uh, let me pull up the team here. The Devils. Devils, yep, stays in. Uh, Matthew Shane went to Nashville. Everybody knew that because he's a country singer. Uh, seven years, $56 million, and Tyler Myers is going to Vancouver for five years, $30 million as well. Uh, that's all I got as far as guys that are definite signings for today. Um, again, if you if we missed one or we didn't list one, it's not that we didn't care. It's just that we're trying to cut this and keep it as short as possible. All right, so we had a big trade that happened this past weekend, and when the trade happened, I was – at a, a cabin in New York with some family. Uh, and they don't really have much service out there. But when I did get a little bar of service, I got this alert on my phone that this p- particular player got traded. And I really didn't know how to contain myself because I didn't know what was happening, like who was going where. Well, I knew the two destinations, the two teams trading, but I didn't know the rest of the remaining pieces. So, Jeff, would you like to fill in the blanks of the big trade that happened this past weekend? So, to do my best Gary Bettman impression at the draft, uh, we have a trade to announce. Booze, cheers, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, boo, of course, Dave's booing. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins trade Phil Kessel, defenseman Dane Burks, and a fourth-round pick in 2021 to the Arizona Coyotes for Alex Galchenyuk and prospect Pierre Oliver Joseph. Um. Dave, do you want to tee off on this first, or do you want me to? I'll do my best to tee it off for you, and then you can uh, finish it out. Okay. But I, th- I think that the Penguins made a very good deal here. And part of the, the one of the first reasons is salary dumping. You take all of Phil Kessel's contract and give it over to Arizona at around $8 million a year, which... You know, surprisingly, didn't really clear up that much room for the Penguins, but it's it's a way to, it was a way to just salary dump on Arizona Coyotes. So here you go, take Phil Kessel, take his contract with you as well. You have three years, eight million a year. Have fun paying that. 
you get back a player that's 25 years old and is going into what I believe is his eighth season in the NHL with Alex Galchenyuk. This is, and this is a player who has put up a 30-goal season before. Um, last year only played 41 games but put up, I believe, 19 goals in those 41 games. So uh, you double the season, you double the amount of games that he plays. He's he's at 38 uh, goals. Um, I might be mistaken on how how many goals. It's either 19 or 13, but I believe it was 19. And getting back a a what is essentially a prospect defenseman uh, with the Penguins, a team that desperately needs moving defensemen, um, ones that won't find themselves in in two-on-one breakaways because the other one pinched too far and yeah, can't recover from that. And then who else did the Penguins get, get rid of in this deal? Uh, just a prospect defenseman, Dane Bricks. He played down in Wheeling uh, last year, so not important. And then uh, a fourth-round pick in 2021. Right, and so you're not giving up one of the first three rounds that the Penguins are usually accustomed to. And you know, the reasons I listed for Galchenyuk being that much younger than Phil Kessel and almost being a similar a similar player to Phil Kessel, I really enjoy this trade, and I think it'll work out with wherever Galchenyuk's put on either the second or third line. Yeah, I, I, with this move, um, I think it was inevitable. And from from the the way things were going towards the end of the year, and the more you watched the team, you kind of you had to feel something big was going to happen, especially the way the the, uh, the playoffs ended and everything. Um, I think I think the uh, how can I put this without people jumping down my throat because I know I. I think the gimmick was up with Phil Kessel that the the whole like he doesn't care or he's you know he's a little lazy and all that. I think I think that was it was okay when you're winning cups and you're you know it, it it's cute then but once once you're you know you had your your run in 2018 okay you lost in game 6 to the eventual cup champs but to get when you're getting swept by the Islanders not producing five on five points or goals. Um, I think the the Penguins as an organization had just had enough and it was time to move on. Um, and I, I kind of jumped on that, 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 that boat as well. Um, as far as getting Alex Galchenyuk, I'm very interested and intrigued by this pickup because this kid I feel hasn't had a real, shot in the NHL to play in a position in where a he's comfortable and b around around very good talent nonetheless because when he was first drafted by uh, Montreal which was conveniently here in Pittsburgh um they started to kind of pigeonhole himself into um pigeonholed him I'm sorry into being a center and he's just not a natural center he's he, he's a winger and he's a goal scoring winger so that's where, you know, having him be comfortable playing on the wing with either 87 or 71 is going to help him tremendously in his goal-scoring production. Uh, number two, being around those world-class talents is going to help him out tremendously as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for this kid. I, I, I can't wait to see if he's able to succeed around talent and playing in the right position. 
Um, as far as uh, uh, Pierre Oliver or Joseph, I've heard nothing but good things about this kid and his future. Um, from what from what I've been told, that he he makes great decisions with the puck. He can get the puck going north, and he's he's a speed kid. So, um, in, in that terms, I, I like the prospect that they got. Um, the prospect they gave away, who cares? He played in Wheeling last year and the fourth round pick in 2021. And I mean, you hate to give up picks, but you know, to give away a, a fourth round pick for a guy that was picked third overall in his draft, um, I'll take that day in and day out. So if you want to view the projected um, lineup combinations by daily faceoff right now, they have Alex Galchenyuk with Evgeny Malkin and Patrick Hornquist. Um, above that, Jared McCann, Sidney Crosby, and Jake Gensel. And right below that line, you have Nick Bukesad in the middle with Simone and uh, Dominic Cahoon. You know, both of them spell Dominic the same way, I-N-I-K at the end. Um, but yeah, Alex Galchenyuk in the second line on the, uh, the left wing with Malkin. I mean, a full, healthy season with all three of those players in that line, what should the over-under be for goals scored? Because I think in a full season, you could easily say 26 and a half, honestly. Yeah, yeah I would put them in like the mid-20s, I think. Um, I think another dynamic, too, is that it lets Evgeny Malkin be the quarterback of a line again. He's not trying to defer to Phil Kessel anymore. It's very much Gino's line. He's going to be the guy that kind of gets everything going. So I think that is something that could, that is very underrated about this trade was that fans throughout, throughout Kessel's tenure, were starting to get frustrated that, you know, Hey, Phil's just deferring to Gino and Gino's doing the same and they're not shooting. Well, now Gino kind of is, can go back in his own little world. He can, he can go to Galchenyak, but it's a lot easier to look off Alex Galchenyak than it is, Phil Kessel. So um, I think that's something else that maybe has been a little overlooked since the trade went down. And one, one other thing to kind of cap it off here, the, the run that Phil Kessel had with the Pittsburgh Penguins, what was your guess going into it? And would you have even imagined where, where, where it ends now um, four years ago? Um, now when you say what I, what I could have imagined, do you mean like when we, when we had gotten him July Yeah, 1st, like what did you expect almost? I think, I think we got everything that we wanted out of Phil Kessel. Uh, he, he got two Stanley Cups here. He was a major part of the 2016 Cup. Um, I think Pitt, Pittsburgh as a city really embraced him just because of the hard time he had in Toronto. So it be kind of came, he became kind of like a cult figure of, you know, I can't believe Toronto didn't like this guy because he's hilarious. Like if you, if, if you go to any ice rink at nine 30 at night in the middle of winter, you're going to see 30 Phil Kessels on the ice. Cause that's all, that's all Phil Kessel is. He's in a, he's a beer league hockey player. And, and I think that's what people embrace about him. He was no different than you or I. You know, he's a guy comes to work, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He eats junk food. Um, I heard I heard an interview on a on another podcast with Sidney Crosby's trainer. They were trying to get him to quit, quit drinking pop 
because, you know, obviously it's not healthy, especially for a pro athlete. But Phil's like, nah, I'm not stopping to drink pop because I'm a pro hockey player. I can still play and I can still score. So um, in terms of that, I think we got everything that we could have ever wanted out of Phil Kessel. Um, in terms of how it ended, it ended probably about the way I thought it would have as well, is that he would have been the first one of the of the cup champions core of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Murray slash Flurry, and Phil Kessel. I kind of felt felt like he was gonna be the next big one out of that group to to move on. So um I I would say Phil Phil Kessel did a did a tremendous job here in Pittsburgh and um me saying that it was time to move on has nothing to go against Phil Kessel in terms of what I thought of him. I thought he was a great player and um, hopefully he has good luck in Arizona. Yeah, I, I think that Phil Kessel has exceeded every expectation that I thought he would bring to this organization because at the time, this was a a one-time Stanley Cup champion team with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And they hadn't been to the Stanley Cup final since that year that they won in 09. They make this trade in 2015. I wasn't a huge fan of it because I thought it was the usual trade younger guys and draft picks who get these, what I referred to as middle-aged men who might be fizzling off. And, uh, and it was probably because of the treatment that he got in Toronto. And he just stopped, you could arguably say, stopped caring because of how everyone treated him up there. And I think it was the way that he was received in Pittsburgh was and well, not only that, and the role that he received in Pittsburgh along with that was what mainly flourished, especially when it came to playoff time. No other person scored as many goals on the P- Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs in those two Stanley Cup years as as Phil Kessel. And I, th- I think even his first year winning the Cup, I, th- I thought he got robbed of the Conn Smythe, but... That's another argument, but I think the way the way it ended kind of sucked. But it it shows that you know he maybe it was time for him to move on. Like this was maybe one of the most uh, clairvoyant moves I've seen by Jim Rutherford since winning the second cup. Yeah, and like you said, the the first year that they they won the cup in twenty sixteen, I kind of agree with you. He kind of. Don't you don't want to take it away from Sidney Crosby because Sidney Crosby is such a great person. He he plays such a great game, but Phil Kessel was fantastic in those those twenty sixteen playoffs. But uh, um, yeah, it, you, you hate to see it go, but but it seems like trades like these remind us that um, hockey is still a business, and these pro sports are still a business. And um, and it was it, it it was time to move on in terms of financially and. Um, it seems like with, with some stuff that was going on behind the scenes, it was time to move on. All right. So why don't we also move on and get our conspiracy theory hats on? What do you think about uh, real that? Real quick, Jeff? real quick. We, we forgot one more thing real quick before we do the conspiracy thing. Okay. Um, uh, just, a, a massive bomb dropped by the Montreal Canadians today. They were making moves, clearing cap space left and right. Um, before today, they did an offer sheet on Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, a five-year, $8.454 million offer sheet that comes out to $42.25 million. Um, the first 
offer sheets since Ryan O'Reilly in 2013. Um, this is massive news. This like never happens in the NHL. So I wanted to make sure we got that in uh, before we moved on. All right. So some breaking news happening all over in the, in this free agency uh, kind of tied around episode to icy takes. I love it. Nice, nice. All right, so let's let's look and see what the the Penguins did over the weekend when it came to uh, a coaching change, and not at the not at the major league level, but at the AHL level, where they hired Mike Volucci to be the head coach in Wilkesbury, the the Calder Cup winning. Uh, coach out in Charlotte, Charlotte, when he won with the Checkers, is now in Pittsburgh, I believe, on a three-year deal. Um, I, I'd have to make sure of that later, but so he he becomes available after this season, and it's it seems kind of odd that Bill Guerin, um, you know, the the manager of Wilkesbury, and he put. This, this coach on such a high level when hiring him, a 52-year-old head coach in the AHL who just won a, a championship in, in that league, just was all over how this guy coached and what he can bring to the table and stuff. And then you have one step above at the, at the professional level with the NHL and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you have Mike Sullivan, who's on his last year in his remaining contract um, because, you know, if they ever wanted to re-sign Mike Sullivan, they're looking to probably spend top-tier money, be the the highest, if not the second-highest-paid coach in the NHL. I don't think he should um, or would take any money below um, being the second-highest-paid in the league. So, Jeff, with a a head coach being praised at this this dude's age to be brought into the Wilkes-Barre system, and Mike Sullivan having one year remaining left on his contract, and no talk about an extension yet. Um, are you are you smelling anything here? Do you do you? What's your sniffer telling you? So after the recent things that have happened within the last, uh, we'll call it what forty eight hours or so between Phil Kessel being traded and uh, this awful Brandon Tanev signing. Um, I've kind of put in my mind at this point that um, by Christmas, we're going to have a new either head coach or, or GM Um, with what, with what, with what you have been telling me the last uh, with this, with new head coach, Don and Wilkesbury, it sounds like they have a safety net ready that if things don't go well off the hop for, for the penguins that a, uh, a coaching change might be coming. And if things don't turn around with the, the head coaching change, um, Bill Guerin might be the new GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins because he's been pre- pretty much groomed to be the new GM of the Penguins um, for a while now. So um, something to stay tuned to, but just as ownership looks over this, I mean, you, you can't be happy, right? There's no way you can be looking at some of these signings and where you were at at the end of 2018 and look where you're at currently and be happy with some of the moves that have been made. So, so do you think ultimately then that Mike Sullivan should be on the on the short end of the stick then if they don't get off to a hot start? Because all, 
in the end, he's not the one making all all the signings. I just think there's a incredible disconnect between the head coach and the general manager at this point. Um, and unfortunately, the head coach answers to the general manager and the GM's going to the, the head coach is going to go before the GM does. So I, it's a harsh reality in pro sports and especially in hockey, because it seems like that the head coach is the first to go. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the. The old adage, you're hired to be fired. So uh, I don't want to see Mike Sullivan go. I like Mike, Mike Sullivan a lot as a head coach. I like a lot of his philosophies behind the game. Um, but I just think we're almost coming to a harsh reality that something big's going to happen if things don't go the right way uh, off the hop. It almost seems pretty eerie how they have just been so successful two years ago, and now you're getting to the point where both GM and coach might be getting the can. And because of what you mentioned, the the disconnect of what they have right now, it's really surprising. Like you see most teams, they'll, they'll go through a coach maybe every two years and then get rid of them, keep that same GM, so on and so forth. But now you're getting to the point where maybe it's getting so volatile between the two and how they try to run their teams that they cannot coexist with each other. And I agree with you. I think that of the two, Rutherford needs to be the one to go first before Mike Sullivan. And, you know, one of that is just because of age. You have so many more years left in Mike Sullivan to keep him in Pittsburgh and keep him running the way he wants to run the team on the ice that you can get somebody else up in the booth to run the the signings, the trades, and everything else and how, and how everything goes into building that championship squad again that with what they have right now in Sullivan and Rutherford, I don't see them winning again. If they can find a way to... Um, almost not weasel out, but get Rutherford out and keep Sullivan in, I think that they have a chance to win another cup before ultimately Sidney Crosby retires because that, that's what it revolves around. The only thing that tells me that Mike Sullivan might be out before Jim Rutherford too, besides what I just laid out, um, do you, and I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, and I kind of spitballed this last year. Uh, do you think playing the right way and and – Kind of like the Mike Sullivan isms that we hear that we've been hearing since 2016. Do you think they've just gone on deaf ears at this point? Yeah, you could say that, but I will also try to give credit to Mike Sullivan because when you keep hearing the same things over and over again, and you hear these you know isms from anyone, eventually it is going to go on deaf ears because they've heard it so many times that they're they're almost bored of it. And right. as a head coach, you, you need to be somewhat creative, but at the same time, you don't want to change your philosophy that's helped you be successful at this point. Right, and I, but I think the, the other thing that um, that kind of gets overlooked, too, is that there is a side of Mike Sullivan that's very much like John Tortorella, where he's a very brash, in-your-face kind of guy. Yeah, he's he's not he's not a full John Tortorella, but you still get that, like, that Tortorella edge almost, and it... It, unfortunately, with guys like those, you get a shelf life. Because remember, you're dealing with pro athletes here. You're not dealing with college kids or kids that are trying to make their way up to get to the show. These guys have made it. Sidney Crosby has made it. Evgeny Malkin has made it. Um, it seems like to a point, Phil Kessel kind of tuned him out where he's also made it. He's won his two Stanley Cups. Um, you know, he's he's been to the big stage now. Um, I think, it, I, 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 I truly think at some point, 
that a, a guy like Mike Sullivan and, like we said, John Tortorella, too, those guys have a shelf life. And unfortunately, I think Mike Sullivan might have reached his here in Pittsburgh. I, I think it's – I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think it's almost harsh to think that because of the turnaround that he did in such a short amount of time with the team that he essentially inherited. You still get great players like Crosby and Malkin, which makes it easier. You don't really have the, um, the at least the hard enough route that Craig Berube had to take this past year with the Blues. But Mike Sullivan did make a lot of those changes in how that team played and made sure that they were successful within his game plan. And when you don't get the same kind of players that you were accustomed to inheriting, that hurts how you coach the team. And maybe he just doesn't want to adjust to that because of how much slower this Penguins team is compared to years past. If that yeah. Kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's just, I, it, it's it's just funny because you, every franchise has been down this road before, and you kind when you kind of watch it, you're just kind of like, you you see the writing on the wall, and I think for a lot of people at this point, they don't want to see the writing on the wall because of how successful the group has been. But it's all it, it seems like more changes are coming. I I, I just have a. I have a feeling deep, deep down that that uh, either Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford, or Mike Sullivan will not be with us by Christmas time. Yeah, let us know what you think. Will either one of these players, or uh, excuse me, players, either one of these uh, figures in the Penguins staff, whether it's the head coach or the GM, will they be with us by the end of the regular season? Let us know at Icy Takes on Twitter. And on our Facebook page at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Is that it for Hockey Talk? Because we went over a lot. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm I'm ready to just freestyle some some baseball stuff here for a little bit. Okay. All right. So we wanted to kind of get into the, the all-star breakdown. The MLB did their version of the I don't know, the election where of the top three players that were almost like voted like in the caucus that at each position in each league, the top three players had to be picked upon who gets to start in the all-star game. And we're just going to get to the one that we cared about the most. It was the first base position for the NL, which came down to Freddie Freeman, Josh Bell and Anthony Rizzo. And between the top two, this was the closest battle of all, all of the positions throughout Major League Baseball um, were Freddie Freeman coming on top at 38.5%, Josh Bell coming in second at 37.4%. Uh, Jeff, you can put your thumbs down and stop pointing to yourself because this isn't all about you. But <laughs> I mean, so you get you get a race like that, and, and it makes it close, and it makes it exciting, especially for the fan bases to get involved with it, and it's live action tracking it's not essentially just over a period three week period of time put in you know, as many votes as you can a day um it's one vote through from this hour to this hour of this day and i really liked it what did you think about it i thought it was pretty cool too um i actually kind of did like the instead of doing the easy way and going to like mlb.com going to the the all-star thing or whatever i did like the 
the Google way they told you to do it, it was actually pretty cool. Like you, like you put Freddie Freeman's name in and like his ballot came up right away. It was like, do you want to vote for Freddie Freeman for the all-star game? Uh, yeah. And you know, you were able to kind of work your way through the ballot that way. So I thought that was really cool to get Google involved with, with major league baseball and everything. Um, so yeah, I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, it, because, like, remember in years past, like, they would start voting in, like, the beginning of June. And it would just, like, drag on. They had the ballot boxes in the, in the stadiums and everything. And it just seemed like you almost, like, forgot about it, right? So, like, yep. th- this way, like, they, they hit it hard with, like, the in-game advertisements and everything. But, like, teams are getting involved. And then next thing you know, they're like, well, you better hurry up because this is your last chance to vote for the guys to get get into the – the um the final three for the starter of their position so um i just like how they they kept it relevant more or less um fun fact i was just scrolling through the the results of the election for this all-star game and you know javi Baez won the shortstop position and here's a interesting fact this was tweeted by sarah langs during the election said, Javier Baez is currently leading NL shortstop in all-star voting, and he started at second base in the NL last year in the all-star game. Only two players have started an all-star game at second base and shortstop in their careers. Bobby Gritch, two at second base, one at shortstop, and Granny Hammer or Hamner, one at each, and neither of them did it in back-to-back years. So Javi Baez being in some, I guess you could say, elite company, because I know Jeff has heard all about those two players I just mentioned, Absolutely. But, um, but uh, so if there is one thing, if there still is one thing to kind of knock about this, it's still the the fans deciding who gets to start. Um, where ultimately, I believe that the best people to pick is the is the managers or the coaches that are involved with that with that all star game. Um, like they'll they they know how to approach how to use what player and all that other stuff. Where I've always enjoyed that the the fans get get to choose the almost bonus player to be selected to the All Star game. Um, now I'm not saying this is a bad bad way to select who starts. I just have always not been a fan of how much power the fans get when it comes to picking people in the All Star game. Can I ask you a quick question real quick? Yes. Do you think do you think differently on the starters thing if Josh Bell is starting at first base? No, I don't. I but I still do what I can do as a fan to do that because this was a one vote. Like you were saying before, that process where it almost dragged on for a month and you got the ballot boxes in the stadium before um it went to mainly just strictly online. Mm-hmm. It, it almost became a hassle to have to go on the computer every day to put in your vote for up to 25 times a day. And it was just almost a, a chore to, right. to do it. So, uh, no, I mean, this isn't because of Josh Bell losing. This is just how I've always felt when it came to how much power the fans get when it comes to um, selecting who starts. So I, I, I kind of like that the fans pick the starters and the the guys that don't win the starter or whatever because it at that point this point in the year you kind of have an idea of who should be there right 
Like, yeah. I, I, like if you look up and down both these lineups, I, there's only like maybe one or two that I'm just like, I uh, I don't know if like he like should Hunter Pence really be the DH for the the American League? I mean, I don't know what his stats are, but just just gazing at it. But I mean, if you look at the NL roster up and down, I thought the fans did pretty good actually. So I think what would be perfect. Like, still use this. Use the top three from each position. Let the fans vote after that. One vote per person. Um, I think what they need to do to get to this point is have the MLB um, managers or some higher-ups in the within Major League Baseball select the top three at each position instead of let the fans vote. And let of those top three, then you get to vote upon that. So then my question would be, what's what would your selection process be for this top three? Like, I'm just trying to see where you're coming up with your top three. Are you going off right. average? Or like are you the, going the, off? Yeah, o- like, or like, like the it, top nine in um, OPS. And, and Well, I mean, you just look at who's been having a great year. I mean, if it wasn't for let me, I'm just trying to find the numbers right now. You have what uh, Carlos Santana starting in in the game. And he won his race easily, 49.2% to Luke Voigt's 25.8%. Do you think that also has to deal with him or having to deal with the game being in Cleveland? Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve the start, but because he won by such a large margin, do you think it was just because that Cleveland's hosting the game, they wanted to make sure that he's starting that game? I would agree with that. But what I'll also come back to you with that, the fact that the Yankees have Gary Sanchez and DJ LeMahieu starting as well. Well, I and all right. So I will answer that question, but let me come back at you with this one. Then, do you think every team deserves at least one All Star, or get as many from one team as you can because they're having that great of a year? I would say every team deserves to be represented there. I, yeah, I, I've watch, never watch, en- watch enjoyed that. Here. Watch yourself. Oh, oh yourself. no. I've never enjoyed it. I the the best of the best deserve to be in the game, right? So you're saying just let me just get this out. The years that the Pirates were very lean, and I'm talking the horrible years when Evan Meek made the All Star game. Evan Meek, we're talking Jack Wilson, who was batting like two thirty. You're you're telling me you you weren't like okay, at least our guys there, like we're represented here. I mean. At the time, I'm also like what twelve years old too. Of course, I'm going to be ecstatic about that. But that, but but again, I I think the All Star Game, like people look too much into it. That it's like, oh well, the best of the best should be there. I disagree. I think the All Star Game should be a time where baseball comes together as a whole. Every team's represented, and you know we have a game now. Back when it was, you know, it's for home field advantage, which I loved. By the way, I loved everything about that. Um, when it was when it was the whole win home field advantage, then I get your argument there. But if we're just playing a game here and and if it doesn't really mean anything, just have one from every guy, every team come in. I mean, I, I don't see why why that you're telling me there's not one guy on each team that is a, an above average player that should be that can at least represent that the uh, that team. There's always going to be that that one player that's on the cusp when they're at that that you know fringe level, like you were saying. That should they be in it? Should they not? Well, you know, look at no, I'm not, I'm just saying it because he's in front of my face right now. Look at DJ LeMayhew and what he's been doing 
with the Yankees filling in that second base role being signed to them this year. 336 average, 12 home runs, 54 RBI. Of course, he's going to be at least in the in the selection process of being a, being the starter. And he beat out uh, Tommy LaStella of the Angels. Jose Altuve, which I was very surprised that he was even in top three to begin with, um, being with the year that he's had, plus being injured for, for how long? I mean, you have Tommy LaStella, who's coming in with a 266 average, one home run, 19 RBI, and uh, not even giving me how, um, or no, excuse me, that that was another year. Yeah, it was a 304 average. That makes it sound a little bit better. And 16 home, home run. And, you know, the Angels aren't that great of a team right now. So I get what you're saying about bringing in players that um, are on the fringe because of the team that they're tied to, essentially. Um I can't. There's other. There's other teams that are better examples than what I brought up with the players that represent them. But I always just think that it's always like the the best of the best because you want to see those best of the best players. That if you're if you're the city hosting it, Cleveland this year, and you're an Indians fan uh, or a baseball fan in general, you want to see the best of the best come into your stadium. And if you're a little, like a little kid, you want to get every almost everyone's autograph that you can find and say, hey, you know, DJ LeMahieu won a couple batting titles in Colorado, was just in Cleveland during the All-Star game. I was able to, like, talk to him, get his autograph. Um, I get everything that you're saying. Trust me. There's a way to just almost shut down in competitive mode and just say, hey, let's actually play ball this time and have some fun with, with everything in the stadium and make sure everyone gets their representation. But I, I think, in the end, I think we are getting closer as baseball to finding that perfect way to select who should be in the top three and then select who starts of those top three. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just a constant, it's just going to be a constant argument. It's kind of like a fun thing to argument or argue about in the middle of July. So, um I just don't think there's ever going to be that perfect way. I think there's just going to be a way for somebody to bitch about it at some point. Um, you know, it's, what, I I just like that the fans are picking who they want to see at the at least the start of the game, and then you know, once the luster of the All Star game for a lot of people, after what the third or fourth inning, once it's kind of gone away, then you have you know you have the guys that. They kind of earn their way there, being voted upon by their peers and the and the managers and everything like that. So um, I just think it's just going to be a constant argument, and there's just no. It's one of those things that you're just not going to make everybody happy about. So let us know what you think. Do you think every every team deserves representation in an All Star game, whether it be Major League Baseball or the NFL? the NHL or the NBA, let us know at Ice Takes with uh, Jeff and Big Dave on the Facebook and on the Twitter as well. Jeff, um, we don't got much time left, but I did want to hear this from you. The The series in London, um, like I said, I was unable to watch almost any of it. I don't even think I watched any bit of it, actually, because of uh, where I was this past weekend, camping up in the south southern border of New York in Cuba, New York. So um, we didn't really get much service up there. We didn't find ourselves watching too much TV. So uh, what did you 
bring in from this past weekend between the Yankees and Red Sox? Runs, 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 and more runs. Um, it was actually pretty cool, actually, to watch this. Um, so they turned uh, London Stadium, which was the cornerstone of the Olympics, back when the Olympics were in um, in London. They basically took the uh, the soccer field that was there. Uh, I think West Ham United play there. Um, they basically put a field on top of the soccer field there and basically made a baseball field from scratch, which is like every baseball fan's dream, right, to build your own baseball field from scratch so um so they did that a uh, couple quirks about it it was like the shortest center field i think it was only like 385 but they had to deal with like a 16 foot wall to hit it over so that was kind of a nice little quirk um i believe they said on the pregame show they had like an acre on each side of of uh, foul territory down the first and third base lines which w- was causing some havoc for some people so um, just all in all, I thought it was awesome for baseball to grow, grow the game across in Europe. They, um, obviously over in Asia with Japan and, and some of the countries over there, they've, they've embraced baseball in Asia. Um, and then to kind of move it over towards the, uh, the European side and, um, in England, which, which I found out over the weekend, they're actually like really big baseball fans over there. It's so, um, it was really cool. It looked like they had a full house both days. Um, so all in all, I thought it was, it, it, it's really good for baseball to kind of expand themselves and to send the Yankees and the Red Sox. Um, I'm sure you can, you can pretty much explain to even the, the fewest knowing uh, baseball fans, you know, explaining Yankees, Red Sox shouldn't be that hard. So um, all in all, I thought it was a pretty cool event. Um, I what they put up 30 runs in the first game. And I think yep. they put up 20 in the second. So um, they, I guess they, they were also saying that they weren't getting the spin rates on curve balls and breaking balls. And that's, that's what led to all the runs and everything. I don't know if you buy into that, but um, great event all around for baseball. And uh, I guess the Cubs and the Cardinals are going next year. Did you see that? Yep. Yep. That is so. official. So is that going to be like the new winter classic? How long does baseball get till the uh, till the bloom wears off on that flower? I don't know. They just, they just got to enjoy it while they still can. Bring over as many rivalries there as possible because I think it's better than sending you know two lower level teams like the NFL does. So I I, I like the system that baseball has right now. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... Yeah, like I said, I think it was just something cool to just bring up on the podcast. I thought, um, you know, it was a pretty big event. I watched a little bit. They made it. They said something on the broadcast too on Saturday that they had to go on the PA system and uh, tell the fans they were allowed to keep foul balls because that, in, cr- in cricket hilarious. you have to throw it back. So um, they actually showed one of the ball boys taking like one of those like those bouncing foul balls that just kind of go up the line a little bit. And uh, he, like, fielded it and put it in front of a uh, guy sitting right on the rail, like, behind him. And the guy kind of just, like, looked down and looked at it. You know, like, over here in the States, you have four guys tackling each other to get that thing. And then over in Europe, they're just kind of, like, looking at it, like, what do I do with this? I'm pretty sure it's England, not not Europe. <laughs> oh, Europe, England, whatever. So, so. Uh, all right. No, but no, I, I thought that was hilarious. I did see that on Twitter where it was almost – different that they actually had to make the announcement that you get to keep the ball but it, it makes sense with how cricket works there yeah so 
So that's all. That's all I got on London. So um, and that I think that's uh that's all that we got for the show too. I think so. All right, so let's wrap it up with our MVP. You want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. I actually have a good one this week. Uh, I actually have two, so I'll give my first one, and then I'll circle back with the second one. <laughs> okay. So um, so the first one I'm going to go with my MVP of the week is – my first MVP of the week is going to be Major League Baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball, uh, for the greatest pun of all time, hit a home run with the home run derby so far. Uh, the six, the first six names have been confirmed for the home run derby. Um, pretty much, if you're a young star in baseball right now, you're in the home run derby. They got Vlad Guerrero Jr., Josh Bell, Christian Yelich, Pete Alonso, Ronald Acuna, and then the hometown guy uh, Carlos Santana. But those first five names are awesome gets for for Major League Baseball to do the home run derby. Um, we talked before we got on the air that uh, you know how how much baseball or uh, basketball struggles to get well-known guys to do the dunk contest or the three-point contest um, for baseball to get those five guys that are so young and so impactful on the game so far in their young careers. It's just an absolute home run for baseball. Yeah, I mean anything that can bring back an event that kind of stale gets stale for a little bit to try to revitalize that. I think this is a great approach that baseball is taking right now with being able to get those players on board with it. So I'm all about that. So mine is actually celebrating no today, which is not only Canada day, but it is also a special day in uh, the states, especially with a, a particular man who once did grace the the uniform of the Buccos for a little bit, but we are talking about Bobby Bonilla. Today is Bobby Bonilla Day. Every July first, it is Bobby Bonilla Day. Uh, he gets a a payment from uh, Jeff's favorite team, the New York Mets. Um, this is his ninth of, I believe, 25 payments that he will be receiving up through July 1st, 2035, of $1,119,248.20. These 25 payments were were to settle a $5.9 million debt that was, um, that occurred in, in the year 2000. So from 2010 to 2035, Every July 1st, Bobby Bonilla receives $1.19 or $1.119 million from the New York Mets. And just for that reason alone, he is my MVP. And he will always be my MVP every July 1st. <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I think my aunt sent me a text today because she always – I usually get like three or four people that send me the annual Bobby Bonilla Day uh, text. He's going to be 72 when that when that this is all said and done. And and just to make that kind of money at 72 like that that's his retirement package. Is a million dollars for for another 15 years. Yeah, no. So I mean that's why Bobby Bonilla is my MVP of the week. He he has his retirement set up plus that, everything else that he does. Is that not the modern day American dream? Oh yeah, just hey, give me my million dollars each year. <laughs> right, right. So, so 
uh, before I get into my second my second uh, MVP, we do have some breaking news that ju- that just came across the wire as I hopped on Twitter real quick. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have acquired defenseman Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot and a 2026 round pick from the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for Nazem Kadri, Kelly Rosen, and a 2023 round pick. So that that literally just came across like two wow. minutes ago. Okay. So uh, that's a, that's a big deal that just dropped for uh, for the Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche. Um, that's a good second line center or third line center wherever they put Nazem Kadri in the uh, in the homeland of Colorado. Um, so yeah, just want to get that through. Uh, my second MVP of the week, um, the. NHL, or I shouldn't say the NHL, the Hockey Hall of Fame announced their uh, 20, 2019 uh, Hall of Fame class. Um, some pretty good names on there. You had Jim Rutherford. You had Haley Wickenheiser, who is a staple in women's hockey. Uh, Sergei Zuboff, who my grandfather uh, ridiculously booed out of the building in his only year here in Pittsburgh. Uh, love you, Pap, for that one. Um, uh, who else am I missing? There is another player that I'm missing. And, oh, uh, Guy Carboneau was in there as well. Congratulations to him. There was one more. There's one more builder that made it. And I can't believe nobody commented on this, or I'm surprised I didn't get something from you. Congratulations, Jerry York, head coach of the Boston College Eagles. I'm making the Hockey Hall of Fame. He is the um, – how do I put this tastefully? He's the Joe Paterno of college hockey. You go to Boston College, he will get you to the to the NHL. Um, he, I believe he's one of the winningest coaches in college hockey history right now. Um, so, Jerry York, congratulations. You deserve it 100%. And uh, go Eagles. All right. So, that'll, that'll about do it for us. I think I'm pretty much spent. I don't know how much more I can do this right now, to, today. I don't know about you, Jeff. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, to always, 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 always. Um, I'll tell people about the podcast. Um, you can access us uh, on if you're accessing us through Apple Podcast right now, Google Podcast, Spotify. That's great. Thank you. Spread the love for us. That'd be amazing. Follow us on our Twitter page at icy takes with um, or at icy takes i c e y takes all one word. Um, personal Twitters at big underscore day fifty two and at jchrist underscore fifty one and just spelled like our Lord and Savior. Amen. We want to be back next week even better than this time around so until then stay icy love you guys